What we wanted to do was figure out what is the appropriate and right role for a state to, to enter into this conversation and to incent the construction and build into areas of the state where currently no other incentives have worked to date. Hi, and welcome once again to the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. This is Lisa Gonzalez. During the last legislative session, lawmakers in the state of Minnesota appropriated $20 million to a grant program to encourage deployment of broadband infrastructure. The state is now taking applications for that program until October 28th. As part of the measure, the legislature also created the State Office of Broadband Development. In this podcast, Chris visits with two of the lawmakers that were instrumental in passing the measure, Senator Matt Schmidt and Representative Eric Simonson. He also visits with Dana McKenzie, the Executive Director for the State Office of Broadband Development. In order to get the initiative adopted, it was important to show need, desire, and support for the appropriation. Senator Schmidt and Representative Simonson, both from Greater Minnesota, explained how they reached out to Minnesota communities, how they took public opinion back to their colleagues, and what they hoped they can accomplish with this modest state investment. In order to learn more about the grant program, Dana helps explain the details about eligible applicants, expectations for its distribution, and some of the requirements for funded projects. When crafting the requirements for the program, the authors wisely chose to include specs that ensure a long-term solution. Here's Chris visiting with Senator Schmidt, Representative Simonson, and last of all, Dana McKenzie. This is Chris Mitchell now talking with Senator Matt Schmidt of the DFL party from Red Wing. Welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. It's good to join you today. So, Senator Schmidt, I wanted to ask you, what is the need in Minnesota? Like, how do you um, how do you quantify what we need here? You know, Chris, I think that's a, a great question. I think a lot of states and regions are grappling with that. Uh, obviously, there, there's great capacity out there in terms of gigabit, uh, you know, bandwidth and in other areas. Uh, we don't have it in, in much of Minnesota. But what I do is I look back at the, the work that we've done as a state in the last 10 years. And a lot of that work has been the result of, of uh, three successive governors, task forces on broadband, and great uh, philanthropic activity, particularly coming from the Blandon Foundation, uh, great uh, local energy uh, with communities banding together to talk about how to improve uh, their, their bandwidth and their technology and their own uh, footprints. But the thing that I think we need to focus on is the fact that the first governor's task force here in Minnesota uh, adopted um, a consensus, uh, a set of state speed goals that we that they felt it would be important for Minnesota to reach by 2015. And those goals uh, articulated uh, a range of 10 to uh, 20 megabits per second download speed accessible to all Minnesotans uh, in all corners of the state. And also a minimum of 5 to 10 megabits per second upload speed uh, accessible to all Minnesotans throughout the state. And, you know, the federal uh, stimulus uh, and, and ARRA process allowed us to start mapping the uh, the progress that Minnesota's made. And uh, we've certainly made great strides over the last several years. But one thing is clear, we're going to fall short of meeting state speed goals. And those are speed goals, I should mention, that were put into state statute following that activity, that first uh, uh, task force report. And so we're going to fall short of those. It looks like maybe 80% of Minnesota will will hit those goals, uh, and that's going to leave over 300,000 Minnesotans short of that access in, in 2015. And these are estimates, but it's quite clear we're going to fall short. And so the, the question is what to do about it. 
And about a year ago, we uh, we uh, set off to to go and talk to to folks throughout the state with their uh, their experiences in accessing the bandwidth they need for their day to day lives. We we dubbed it the the border to border broadband listening tour, and we met with around 20 communities, all corners of the state. We had great turnout. Uh, we had some staff join us, and uh, folks from Department of Commerce were there as well, and. Uh, uh, it, it was kind of a, a traveling show. We had uh, Blinded Foundation uh, sent a couple of individuals to a number of these and recording the, the contents of the meetings. And it, high value sessions in each one of them. We had a cross section of the community. We had folks from education, from healthcare, from the local, you know, Chamber of Commerce, uh, local elected officials, and just regular citizens who said, "I take an interest in this. I want my community to be as livable. Uh, I want our quality of life to be as high as it possibly can." And, and we had, you know, many of these meetings, anywhere from, you know, 15, 20, 30, even 40 people plus show up on cold days in the Minnesota winters to talk about the importance of broadband in their daily lives. And the message that I heard time and time again is that there are pockets of, of poor service where we're just not cutting it, that we're not competitive, that folks living in certain parts of the state just aren't able to take part in the 21st century economy, let alone just enjoy, you know, basic connectivity. Time after time in these meetings, these themes were repeated. One, that it really comes down to a fact that you know we have hard-to-reach areas in Minnesota that regardless of perhaps the best efforts of some of our providers and cooperatives, there's a shortage of capital, of investment capital to extend networks. And another thing we heard is that Minnesota is really diverse uh, in geographically, uh, markets, uh, and also the players who are providing services in these markets, and that we can't have a one-size-fits-all approach if the state's going to do anything in this realm. And the third thing we heard loud and clear at every one of these stops is that folks are tired of talking about this problem. They want to do something about it. Here, here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You've heard that before, right? So it was a, it was a great tour, you know, over, over 20 stops. We connected with over 450 Minnesotans around the state, and it really set the tone for what we were going to try to do in the, in the 2014 legislative session. And so I, invaluable process. And I think in my mind that, that reaffirmed the sense that I had long had that we just weren't, you know, keeping pace with where we needed to go. And, you know, bringing this back to, you know, your original question, you know, how are we doing in terms of meeting the state speakers? Where are we at? Minnesota's made great strides in the last several years, but uh, independent analysis has demonstrated that we're actually slipping relative to other states and certainly relative to other countries. So despite great efforts from you know, the, the private provider community and in, in, in other you know, public efforts along the way, we're not keeping up. And there's more that we can do uh, if we're going to take seriously the charge of being a leader in this space, not simply meeting state speed goals, but being a leader in the space. And so I think we've had you know, great dialogue over the last year about what to do. And, uh, and I'm very optimistic we're in a position right now where we're really going to be able to, to move that dial, not only relative to where we were a couple of years ago, but relative to where other states are at and where the other states are moving. Well, let me ask you one final question. You worked with Representative Eric Simonson, and he's in an area that I think is cable coverage. Um, you're from Red Wing, where uh, Red Wing at least is getting some of the best access in the state thanks to a Minnesota company, HBC, Hiawatha Broadband. Um, I, I presume some of the people who, who are your constituents don't have the greatest access. But the two of you made this a key issue and, and built a fund that's going to be focused on serving the least served people. And I'm just curious, what motivates that? Well, I, I just think there's a, a keen appreciation that this is the, the key investment in the 21st century. And you, you've heard these analogies before. You had the Intercontinental Railroad of the uh, 19th century. You had the interstate highway system of the 20th century. Well, 
And the, the information superhighway is the key medium uh, for the exchange of ideas and, and goods and services in the 21st century. And we've got to make sure that we have access to it in all corners of the state that no one is left behind. And just as you know, uh, we, we did uh, 100 years ago, uh, the undertaking of rural electrification, this is the charge of the 21st century to make sure folks are connected, that they have access to the 21st century economy. They can participate in, in, in that on a day-to-day basis. This is going to take a galvanized effort, uh, bringing together the best the public and private sectors and in, in, in the nonprofit sectors have to bear. And I'm hoping that in Minnesota here, we're starting that conversation. It's not about who's doing it necessarily, but how we're moving the dial and how we're getting you know, uh, communities and individuals and businesses, families, students, farmers, the vital access they need. Great. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Chris, it's always good to join you. And now I'm speaking with Representative Eric Simonson from the DFL, a representative from Duluth, uh, representing District 7B. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate your having me. I'm really glad to, to have you on the show. I was uh, extremely appreciative of all the work you did. Um, you're one of the main reasons that we have this broadband fund. Uh, I think you were you were the lead author in the House and, and really a driving force. Um, so why don't you tell us what, what motivated you to make sure we had this fund to spur broadband deployment? Right. Well, there's a couple of reasons, really. Uh, there's actually several reasons, but a couple that really stand out for me. Uh, Being a representative from greater Minnesota, I see and hear about the need for uh, tools for economic development all the time, uh, both from uh, local government, municipalities that are trying to encourage development within their own jurisdictions, and from business as well. Um, And one of the things that has really risen to the top over the last 10 or so years has been this need for better broadband capabilities here in Minnesota. This market, this economy in today's world really relies upon uh, good Internet service. And it doesn't really matter which industry you're in. Um, It seems to be across the board that there is a definite need. And Minnesota has really started to fall behind, if you will, the curve. And, uh, And this is one of the things that prompted me to get involved with this bill because I saw the you know, the, the great potential for greater economic development, uh, especially in greater Minnesota outside the metro. And so that actually leads to my second question, which is what, what do you think we're going to see happening as a result of this fund, and, and how are we going to know that we're successful? Well, I think, you know, what I think will happen is that we've, we've got this fund now that's got $20 million in it, um, and, and the language around the fund is designed to promote you know, strong public-private partnerships and really try to, to capture as much private investment as we can in systems. Um, and my hope is that we see a significant amount of applications come into DEED uh, for these dollars because I think the need is out there. I think it's been demonstrated. And now with this fund set up and the application period opening, um, I think we'll see a significant amount of applications that will far exceed uh, the amount of money that we've appropriated, which in theory should demonstrate the need for a further appropriation from Minnesota. It w- would you say then that you expect the number of people will be surprised at just how much motivation there is in greater Minnesota to invest in better networks? That That's my assumption. Uh, you know, I think that is what I believe based on the conversations that I've had throughout Minnesota. Um, I think, you know, there's this significant need out there. I don't think anybody questions that. 
It's a matter of how we capture that need and turn it around to provide something that um, will facilitate further investment in building these networks out and providing the service that folks need. So I'm expecting to see a pretty significant uh, amount of applications. And one of the things that I think people should realize is that you and, and Senator Schmidt really pushed hard for $100 million uh, fund. And uh, we're going to see a continued discussion as to how much money the legislature should put into this. How do you recommend people get involved to make sure that, that, that um, their views are being heard in terms of needing more investment in these networks? Right. And the $100 million came as a recommendation from the Broadband Task Force. And I think it's important to put that into perspective that even at $100 million, that, that doesn't come anywhere near meeting the the statewide need, if you will. So $100 million is really sort of a drop in the bucket in terms of total need. Um, and we, of course, settled in and uh, received $20 million. But as we go forward, I think that now that we've got a process in place and we've, and we've got an ability for uh, municipalities and private business and others to, to kind of demonstrate their need through a process, I think it'll become fairly evident about the size of the need here in Minnesota. And I think people really need to make sure that they go through the application process and more importantly, talk to their own legislators, uh, both in the House and the Senate and the governor's office about you know what the need is in Minnesota. Because in my mind, um, the internet really has become what, I, what I'm calling basically critical infrastructure now, no different than electricity or water and sewer lines were you know, many years ago. This is the need of today, it's the need of tomorrow, and if, and if Minnesota wants to remain you know, nationally and globally competitive, this, these are the types of things that we need to do. All right, well, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. I'm speaking with Dana McKenzie, the Executive Director of the Office of Broadband Development for the State of Minnesota. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yes, I'm, I'm glad you're there also. Actually, I was thrilled when you, when you got the position. You're, you came to, down from Cook County, and uh, I think it's a, it's a very good thing for the state to have you in that position. So thank you. I understand that you have uh, some checks you're going to be cutting in, in the near future. Um, there is a broadband fund that uh, some people fought very hard to establish to make sure that Minnesota has some more investment in Internet networks. Can you tell us what this fund is all about? I sure can. Uh, yes, the legislators and the governor put into place a general fund appropriation of $20 million in 2004 to really look at how does how can the state incent the deployment and the build out of broadband infrastructure out into those places that are least served and most difficult to serve, frankly. And so this, this $20 million fund is really ours, the starting point of the conversation for the state on what the most appropriate involvement for the state is in that equation. What is the uh, actual name of the fund? It is the Border-to-Border Broadband Development Grant Program. So we have this this border-to-border fund. I'll just simplify it. And um, it's $20 million. Um, How is that going to be split up ultimately? Well, it's really focused on the un- and underserved areas of state, like I mentioned, which means that we are expecting to see applications from all over the state for 
projects that probably look at, at serving the small pockets of areas that are unserved. So we anticipate this grant has a legislative cap of $5 million per award. So obviously a $20 million fund isn't going to go a long way, but we anticipate anywhere from 15 to 50 applicants, and we hope to fund anywhere from 5 to 20 projects using that funding source. And again, the the, proje- the projects that are eligible are focused on those on an unserved areas. And the funding is actually eligible to be distributed to a wide variety of applicants. And the legislators were deliberately wanted to welcome all comers who had the wherewithal and ability to build and sustain a project into these unserved areas. So the legislation uh, outlines that the money is available to both for-profit uh, businesses, including existing providers, cooperatives, nonprofits, government entities, tribal entities. So it's a pretty wide variety of eligible applicants that we expect to see come in the door here in the next four weeks. Well, I think that was, I was very glad to see that. And in particular, I just think it's always worth noting that uh, for states that do have a number of reservations that um, people sometimes forget, but it's very important to include the, the tribal entities because uh, if you think rural Minnesota has it bad, a lot of times the tribal areas are even lacking access to telephone around the United States. So uh, it's just an important thing for people to be aware of. I agree, and I think it'll be interesting to see how the tribal um, governments respond to this opportunity. So what are the sort of requirements that that come along? I I, I remember actually making a a recommendation that there be a number more requirements than ultimately were adopted, but there's one in particular that I think is just a very smart uh, move. So so if I was to to get some of this money to deploy a network, what would the the state require of me uh, if I accepted it? I think the biggest one, other than the one we've already mentioned, which is to be serving the un- and underserved areas, is that any technology that's funded using these dollars must be scalable to at least 100 meg- megabit per second uh, connection bi-directionally, which uh, the, obviously the intent of that was to make sure that these are long-term investments and not something that might um, turn around and become obsolete in a very short period of time. So while the language of the grant and the law is agnostic as far as the technology used to deliver those services, the applicants need to prove through engineering documents that anything that they intend to install is in fact uh, scalable to those levels. Yeah, I'm just glad to see that because I think in, in some areas we've seen government funds used to build networks that uh, some might say were obsolete before they were finished, and I'm very glad we won't be seeing any of that here in Minnesota. Uh, one of the, the the last question I have for you, actually, is I think Minnesota is really leading the way for a number of other states in this because while we've seen a lot of elected officials say broadband's really important and we need to figure out how to get better connections, Minnesota's actually put up $20 million, and a number of us hope for more, but $20 million is more than most states are putting up right now. So what other kinds of lessons might you suggest to similar people in in your position in other states as to uh, what they can learn from Minnesota? Well, as you might guess, we're a little bit early as far as the grant itself in, in being able to 
discern what lessons we're going to learn from that process. But I, there are a couple of things that that have kind of led up led us up to this point that might be useful to consider. And one of the first I would mention is the task force. It's really a useful policy mechanism to have an external uh, group or body that is. Um, charged with deliberating on the value of various broadband policy options that, and the fact that, that that group includes both public and private in- representatives is an important piece. It, it provides information and informs legislative discussion in such a way that gives them really kind of a jump start on the debate as they move into a fast-moving session. So, so, and that information is also very useful for a governor's office when determining determining their position on an issue. So I would say that that somewhat independent or uh, outside group looking at those issues is a helpful policy lever. The second thing I, I would note is the creation of the office of broadband development uh, in, our, is, in our case really has shown its value in creating a focal point for broadband issues in state government. It turns out there's a lot of piece, moving pieces that are happening in various areas and agencies, and in many cases, in fact, a lot of cases, not even with the awareness of the people working on it, how it dovetails and is important to to broadband um, advocacy and broad and furthering broadband in the state. So the idea that the states created that focal point and which also in turn act, acts as another policy lever um, in in moving policy and programs forward. And I think the third piece is just the beginning lesson of the incentive program. What we wanted to do was figure out what is the appropriate and right role for a state to, to enter into this conversation and to incent the construction and build into areas of the state where currently no other incentives have worked to date, and that includes a successful business model. And we are already seeing that the communications between providers and communities are changing and moving forward in a way that we hadn't seen prior to having this incentive program on the table. So those are kind of my three first lessons. Now, let me just ask you as sort of a, a bonus comment. There, there was some concern from, from some as this bill was making its way through that there might not be enough interest from parties in Minnesota for a fund. Do you think there's any danger that you won't get enough applications? I am fairly comfortable that we're going to get uh, plenty of applications. We are in daily conversation with communities and providers that are working on applications. And just very briefly, you are probably aware one of the things we used was the FCC's Rural Broadband Experiments Letters of Interest to gauge volume of, of demand. And with over 60 letters of interest and $600 million in proposals in that list, um, we were pretty confident that there is a demand out there. And that was just for the state of Minnesota from those projects, Correct. right? Yes. Thank you for that clarifying statement. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, and uh, we wish you luck in evaluating all the applications. You're welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. If you're interested in learning more about the Border to Border Program grants, you can visit the Minnesota Department of Employment and Economic Development website to download an application and other relevant materials. Remember, the application deadline is October 28, 2014, so don't delay. Send us your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Community Nets. 
Once again, we want to thank Jesse Evans for the song, Is It Fire? Licensed through Creative Commons. And thank you for listening. Have a great day.